Wow, well, I'm learning the timing of the new bumper and uh, trying to make sure I do that all in the right time. Um, very excited about the Sing Till Sunset come up, and I'll tell you why, because um, another vineyard contacted me this week and said, listen, are you guys still doing that thing on Wednesday over at the coffee shop? And I said, yes, we are. And they said, great, we're going to bring our whole adult small group over there, so what do we need to bring? Chairs and stuff like that, and we're just going to sit outside and just be like, yes, that's exactly what's going to happen, and we're just going to have a, a, a good time doing cover songs and some worship songs and and uh, just enjoy being out there. If you say, hey, what's that all about? Well, one of the things that's important to this church as a church is affecting the economic well-being of Richmond. And, and uh, I like what Andy Stanley said one time when he said, do for one what you wish you could do for everyone. And so while we can't do it for every single business in Madison County, that doesn't stop us from doing it from, for at least one business in Madison County. And if you know me at all, just a little tiny bit, then you probably know I have a serious addiction to caffeine. And um, so what better thing to do than to connect some of the things that I like to do, like worship, uh, play and listen to music, and drink coffee um, with people. And so we're going to do that. We're going to invite you to be careful, um, and we're going to invite you to be aware of your surroundings and all those kind of things. But Purdy's has said, we would love to stay open for you, and we would love to do this. As we uh, gather together, um, we are um, going to be talking about having difficult conversations. This is the second in this sermon series, and I want to encourage you. I, I warned you last week, sometime this month, I'm probably going to offend you, um, and, I, and I'm saying that not because I'm like, hey, I'm going to go swing a ball bat and offend as many people as I can. That's not the point. I'm just going to address some things straight up that we need to talk about that I've left untouched for just a little tiny bit, and we're going to do it here. Now, the fact of the matter is we're talking about how we should live. How should we live as Christian people? What should it mean for us to be the light? We are not talking about how sinners should live okay sinners don't care about Jesus they don't care about the laws of God and they don't care about the teachings of Jesus they're not interested in following Jesus so the idea that we demand the world to act like Christian peoples is fundamentally um, moronic can I just say that for a second can I just be straight up since that's what this sermon series is? it is absolutely ridiculous to think sinners are gonna live their lives according to the teachings of Jesus Christ as a matter of fact we're gonna find ourselves more and more and more over the next couple of years I believe if the trumpet doesn't blow, we're going to find ourselves more and more and more living in a world more like what Jesus lived in and less like what we think he lived in. Because the fact of the matter is we aren't even close to what it means to live in a Roman-occupied world with pagan temples on every corner and, 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 and women outside soliciting on behalf of those temples. See, we don't even live where Jesus lived, and we're like, oh no, we can't hardly live ourselves. Well, then how would you live as a Christian person if you lived in the time of Jesus? How would you do that? Because he did not go swing in a ball bat. He did not march on Rome. He did not demand that the whole Roman Empire suddenly become Christian. As a matter of fact, what he did was he reached one person and said, follow me. And as he walked along, he said to the next person, follow me. And as he walked along, he said to the next person. And he never tried to institute Christianity because it's a lifestyle and a relationship, not a, a, a legislation. And so we need to grab a hold of that. So we're going to do that. How should followers of Jesus live? Um, you are more than welcome to email me. If you're going to email me sassy, don't do it, okay? Because there's just something about a sarcastic tone that just suddenly my flesh rises up and I'm doing everything I can to push it back down over these last three months, okay? I really, I, listen, 
I promise you I'm trying. If I've embarrassed you, I apologize. But I promise you I really am trying. I really am, okay? But I'm going to try to deal with this today, and we're going to look at it. Have you ever heard, those of you that are parents, have you ever heard your words and your attitudes coming out of your children's mouth? Is, is that not straight up scary? Oh no, I'm raising one just like me. And then you're, you hear, oh honey, you remember? I remember when my parents said, I hope you have one just like you. And back then we thought, well, I hope I do too. And now we're like, oh, I wish my mom were here. She could help me with this. She got me through life and didn't kill me somehow. And that's what happens. Well, sometimes I think that, uh, you know, God feels that way. You know, it, it's like he wants to hear us coming, uh, us to hear him coming out of our mouths, but instead we hear our flesh coming of our, out of our mouths. And I think sometimes God is saying, okay, all right, we're going to revisit this one more time. You remember what I told you? You remember what I said? Remember when you said that to your children and you were like, look, I know I have told you stop doing that, Okay. In our house, we have conversations like this. We have three Rottweilers that are tipping the scale, just probably averaging over 100 pounds each. Um, the, the little girl is, is littler, and she's dragging the average down. But there's 300-pound Rottweilers, and, 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 and my wife is sitting on the couch, and I say, now listen, Millie, you know I've talked to you about this before. And my wife looks at me like, do you really think she understands what you're saying? And I say, yes, I do. I really do. And then I have to feel foolish for a minute because we really think we're treating them like kids, not dogs. It's like, oh my word. But we're there. And sometimes I feel like God has to say, all right, all right, one more time. But I don't think he's going, all right, one more time. I honestly feel like he's going, okay, take a deep breath. We're going to go over this one more time. And that's what I want to do today. I want to go over this one more time, okay? <laughs> so, um, I want to look at a scripture in the book of Acts in chapter 10. I'm going to look at it in two pieces. I want to look at what's going on here. And remember, at the end of the day, what matters is what does the Bible say about what the Bible says, okay? The context of what we are about to read is king. If you want to know what this Bible verse is about, and we're going to get to difficult conversations about people who use scriptures to do stupid things, okay? But today, what we want to say is, what does the Bible say about what the Bible says, and what is the context of what's being said, so that we can ask the question, then how shall we live? So, Acts chapter 10, if you have one of these things, it's a little archaic, but I think it's going to come back into Nouveau, okay? And so go ahead and get your one, all right? Um, you can order them online, you can get them at Christian bookstores, they're just amazing things, okay? Get you one. Acts chapter 10, split your Bible in half, and you're about a quarter of the way there. Split it off to the quarter, and you're right there. If you have one of those little things in front of your face right now, just type in Acts 10. It will come up, I promise you. Acts 10, <clears throat> chapter, uh, excuse me, Acts chapter 10, verses 1 through 10, is, or 1 through 8 is what I'm looking at right now. At Caesarea... There was a man named Cornelius, a centurion in what is known as the Italian Regiment. Okay, Cornelius is not a Hebrew name. So you know right away this dude is not Jewish, or at least he's not going by his Jewish name, so he's not living according to Jewish laws and things like that just yet. All right? At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion. That means he was over at least 100 men. That was, he, was, he was responsible for a regiment of 100 men, known as the Italian Regiment. He and all his family were devout and God-fearing. Remember, they didn't have the New Testament. They did not have the New Testament. 
So they had the law in the Old Testament, and they were trying to understand God as, as uh, pagans or heathens <clears throat> that had come to know him. It says, uh, he gave generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly. One day at about 3 in the afternoon, 3 in the afternoon is important. Why? Because 3 in the afternoon is when people prayed. Pray in the morning, pray at 3 in the afternoon, pray in the evening. Okay, it's a normal thing in the Middle East. All right? So at 3 in the afternoon, at prayer time, he was in fact praying and he had a vision. 3 o'clock in the afternoon, all the lights are on, probably outside on top of a building or something like that, and suddenly he has this vision, okay? He distinctly, not accidentally saw, not maybe saw, not kind of saw, he distinctly saw an angel of God who came to him and said, Cornelius, and I love that he called him Cornelius because that's what his parents called him. And the angel knew that his name was Cornelius, and he called him by his name because names are important, and that's a whole other story. Cornelius stared at him in fear and said, what is it, Lord? <laughs> I don't know what you would say. I don't know what you think you would say. I think I probably would just wet myself and fall over dead. Okay, I'm not trying to be crass and awful. I'm just telling you, if an angel of the Lord shows up right here on the stage next to me, I'm probably going to shut up, stop talking, and fall over dead. All right, that, I, I just can't imagine this taking place. Angel of the Lord showed up next to him and said, Cornelius. Cornelius stared at him in fear and said, What is it, Lord? And the angel answered and said, Your prayers and the gifts to the poor, not your prayers, not your gifts to the poor, your prayers and, and, and your gifts to the poor. It's not either or, it's both and. We are supposed to live generously giving. Okay? And that's what he says. Your, the angel says, your prayers and your gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. Now send men to Joppa to bring back a man named Simon who is called Peter. He's staying at Simon the Tanner's house who has a house by the sea. When the angel spoke to him, when the angel who spoke to him had gone, Cornelius called two of his servants and a devout soldier who was one of his personal attendants, and he told him everything that happened and sent him to Joppa. Um, I'm really excited and, and really impressed that he actually said out loud to, to two people and one of his um, soldiers, hey, come in here, I'm going to tell you, I just saw an angel. He was right here in the room with me. He told me some crap. And they weren't just like, oh, man, the general is slipping really bad right now. Okay, I don't know what he's eaten, I don't know what he's smoked, and I don't know what he's taken. It's like, I'm not sure. But instead, they believed him. And here is this, this centurion, and this centurion gets called by name, and this centurion is a Roman citizen, and this uh, centurion is a soldier, and he has a vision, not a dream. He's not sleeping. And I love that his prayers are just about to get answered, that God is saying, listen, you've been praying for so long. You've been generous. You have been persevering, living to the best. He wasn't perfect. He wasn't a perfect man. He was a human being like you and I, but he was persevering, doing the best he could in deed, not just in word. A lot of people I know want to persevere in word, and when deed comes up, they're like, yeah, well, maybe not so much. Oh, I don't have time for that. And then they pass by on the other side of the road. Whole other parable, right? You heard that. Well, this, this centurion is, is, I mean, he's got to be excited. The angel showed up and said, your prayers are about to be answered. And I don't know what your prayers are, but I don't get the idea from reading the whole passage that his prayers were like, I want a, a, a $50 billion, I want a big house, I want to own a, a, a house on the beach. I want, it doesn't appear that that's what's going on. He wants God in his life. 
He has been praying and praying and serving and giving because he wants more God in his life. And he says, your prayers are about to be answered. It's going to happen. It is on. And then the scripture continues on. In verse 9, we change we're still in the same, scenario, the same story, but we change the perspective. He says, I want you to go find Simon Peter, okay? And then he says, um, Luke is writing the book of Acts, and he says, now let's talk about what Peter was doing at the same time. So if we begin there, it says, about noon the following day as they were on their journey and approaching the city, okay, who's they? They is two servants and a soldier, they're approaching, they're, they have gone 34 miles. They're traveling 34 miles from Caesarea to Joppa. Okay, that's how far it is. And they're not going to go in a straight line, but it's still about 35 miles, and they're walking. Okay, so they have walked and walked and walked and walked, and they're not quitting until they get there. So they're approaching the city the next day. Peter went up on the roof to pray. Who knows what time it was, but it was prayer time. He had become hungry and wanted something to eat, and while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. Okay, we're going back to the vision thing. Now Peter's going to have a vision. He saw heaven open and something like a large sheet come down to earth by its four corners. It contained all kinds of four-footed animals as well as reptiles of the earth and birds of the air. And then a voice told him, get up, Peter, kill and eat. And basically do what is not lawful for Jewish people to do. Surely not, Lord, Peter replied, I have never eaten anything unpure or unclean. The voice spoke to him a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened a third, three times, and immediately the sheep was taken back up to heaven um, while Peter was there. So Peter's thinking about this thing, and, and you, you see the picture of what's going on, right? So God talks to a, a heathen, okay? He talks to somebody who's not Jewish, who, who wants to know about God, who's attempting to, following God, uh, to follow God, so he has some, some relationship with somebody that has introduced him to God Almighty. Not Jesus, necessarily, but God Almighty. And so he's praying, he's trying to be devout, he's trying to be generous, he's trying to love his community, he's trying to be compassionate, he's trying, and he's doing, and he's working at it, and his prayers has, have ascended to God. Both and. Prayers and deeds, not just prayers. If you're wondering why your prayers seem to be bouncing off the ceiling in your living room, ask yourself if your prayers and your deeds are connected. Are you living what you say you're living? And maybe you're not killing people and taking drugs and an alcoholic, but are you gossiping? Are you lying? Are you cheating? Are you bitter? Are you judgmental towards people? Are my prayers bouncing off the ceiling? Sooner or later, we're not worried about the sins that we're physically committing as much as we're worried about the attitudes of our hearts. And that is what we're looking at in Peter's life right here, okay? Because God has to do a work on Peter. He has to do a major work. Cornelius, great big story, angel of the Lord. Peter, up on the roof, the very next day, as those men are walking up to the house that Peter's at, the very next day, Peter is having a vision. He's in a trance and having a vision by himself, okay? And that vision is he sees the sheep come down, and there's all kinds of animals. And based upon Peter's response, we have to understand that there's maybe some pigs in there. God invited him to a, like a pork barbecue, and, and Peter's like, no, no, don't try to tempt me. That's kryptonite. No, 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 I'm not going to do it. I won't do that, Lord. Lord, I've never eaten this. I'm not going to do it. It's not going to happen. 
But I need you to understand that as you read this story, this story is not about Peter eating or not eating something that's unclean. This story, believe it or not, and track with me, show me if I'm wrong, this story is about racism. Believe it or not, right? We're dealing with Peter, who is a good Jew. He's following Jesus. Jesus gets crucified. Jesus, uh, Peter comes back into the fold. After he runs away, then he comes back into the fold, and now he's being sent out. He's doing missionary-type work. God says, I am going to send three people, and, and so he starts sending the three non-Jewish people. Then he has to do, well, let me just stick to my notes so we can get through this sermon today, okay? So God has to break down Peter's racist walls, his religious walls. You might say, Pastor Joe, no, he's talking about food. No, he wasn't talking about food. Did you miss the point where he had to set up the, the, the centurion first? First, he has to set up the centurion. And how many people are coming to find Peter? Three. And how many times did the sheet go up and down? Three. So we know God's just not trying to relax the dietary laws of the Jews. He's specifically saying these three things and these three things are going to be connected as he begins to do this. And so that's, what going, that's what's going on. Don't miss the context and the point of this passage. God is welcoming non-Jews into the kingdom of God because God can do what God wants. In order for God to get Peter to go to a godly man's house of a differing ethnicity, look what he has to do. Remember what he had to do with, what, what did God have to do with the centurion? He had to say, send somebody to Peter's house. That's all he had to say. Centurion gets up and says, go to Peter's house. When he comes to Peter, he says, Peter, Hey, Peter, <laughs> hey, how you doing? Look at this blanket with all these animals in it. Hey, go ahead and take and eat one. Peter says, no, I've never done that. Okay, Peter, look again. I'm going to do it again. Peter, take and eat one. No, I've never done that. Peter, look again. No, Lord, I've never done that. See, he has to really exercise the judgmental one, and he doesn't have to do that much at all to this guy over here that's just hungry for God. Look what's going on. The difference is these people are not Jewish, and this man is Jewish. This man is living according to a code. But remember, what was it Jesus said? The law was made for man. Man was not made for the law. And so now we've got this guy over here that's hungry for God, but because he might eat some, you know, like pork chops or something, he can't be a part. And Peter says, I mean, God has to say to Peter, knock it off, Peter. I'm doing something different, and I'm trying to get you ready. He gives him a vision. Something that Peter would understand, a vision. He does it with animals, something Peter would understand. But he has to be slow because Peter's never been the smartest one of the 12 or 13, depending on how you count that. He's been, in my humble opinion, he has been the most faithful and the most zealous, but he hasn't always been the smartest. And so three times he has to do that up and down. And three times Peter said no. And that means three times God said to Peter, go, go, do this thing. And I hate to say it, but Peter's got a problem. And he's not going with those Gentiles unless God makes a big point of it. That's racism. Based on their ethnicity, he does not want to go with them. All of his life, Peter was taught to be a racist. And, and it wasn't somebody was trying to be mean and ugly. Don't get me wrong. Unfold your hands. It wasn't because Peter was being ugly. I, and I hate this word, but systemically it was happening. Let me, let me just take you to John 4, 9. Jesus is having an interaction with a woman at the well. She's a Samaritan. A Samaritan is a half Jew. Okay, study your Bible. 
Study to show yourself approved. Don't read a verse and go around and beat people to death with it. Study to show yourself approved. Samaritans are half Jews. And what, what was it this woman said to Jesus? You're a Jew, I'm a Samaritan woman. Racism. She's checking their ethnicity immediately. How can you ask me for a drink? And look what John has to tell you and me. Jews don't associate with Samaritans based on their ethnicity. They're not pure bread. Straight up, they're half bread, and so they worship there on Mount Gerizim. The, the Jews worship in the right place on Mount Moriah, on the Temple Mount. See? Peter's been taught that all of his life. He probably doesn't understand it inside of his soul. And I'm going to tell you right now, if Jesus is looking at this, and this is the way Jews treated half-Jews, imagine how they treat whole Gentiles. Pagans, heathens. Ah, we don't know. I don't know. And we see it in the book of Galatians. We see it in the book of Ephesians. We see it in the writings of Paul. Ah, these men are coming in and saying, you people can't follow Jesus because Jesus is a Jew. So you've got to become Jews first. So you've got to be circumcised. How do they know if somebody was circumcised or not? Let that sink in for just a second. <laughs> Whose job was that in the church? And I hope they got paid extra. And I'm not trying to be crass. I'm just telling you that there had to be a time, a place, or something that an inspection took place that proved that somebody was Jewish. See? And Paul said, you do not have to be circumcised first because we are of the people that are circumcised in our hearts. That's what's important. You do not have to become a Jew to become a Christian. And, and Peter was not taught that all of his life. When the Holy Spirit came at Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, it says this. This is, again, Luke talking. This then is, and he's telling Theophilus, this then is how, uh, that, uh, excuse me, then how is it that the Holy Spirit came, people were speaking in tongues, crazy things were happening, but they were speaking in the ten known languages surrounding the Mediterranean theater of the move of Christianity. And you'll see this. And so they said, these men are drunk. And Peter says, they're not drunk. And then this is the answer from the heathens. Okay, man, maybe, maybe some people that were trying to be Jewish, okay? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our native language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, and Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya near Cyrene and visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and people from Crete, Cretans and Arabs, and we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own language. The Holy Spirit fell on not just the 12 disciples who were there, but the disciples that were there, black, white, Asian, Middle Eastern, all nations. God wanted all of them to hear this truth. God wanted all of them to have access to the Holy Spirit. God did not look down and say, nah, 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 nah not this group, oh, just this group over here, and then you can tell them about it. He fell down and made sure everybody heard it in their own language. This speaking in tongues that was going on is speaking in known worldly languages. That's what's going on in this passage. So it didn't just fall on the Jewish people because God is no respecter of men. He does not look on the outward the way we do. He looks inside. Racism is a sin problem, not a skin problem. It really is. 
It's something that is inside of us. A person is not the color of their skin. They, I believe they are the color of their heart. The question is, what color is your heart? Well, Pastor Joe, it's red. It's kind of a pinkish, you know, orange color. And uh, if you ripped it out, you would know that. Okay, well, I'm not going to, and that's not what I'm talking about. Okay, I get that. But check this out. A black heart is a divisive, that's not a racial term here. A black heart is a divisive, deceitful, deceitful, full of discord and always evil. A red heart is angry, rage-filled, and narcissistic. A purple heart is royal, haughty, and proud. A white heart is pure and spotless. When you think about hearts and biblical themes, and we all fit some form of this because we are all born sinners. And Jesus needs to change our heart. In Ezekiel 36, 26, one of my favorite verses says, I will give you a new heart and I will put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and I will give you a heart of flesh. Because we need one. Because we have little rocks in our hearts if our hearts are not rocks altogether. And we need to have heart surgery and that is what the church is all about. We are about heart surgery. Racism is any ethnicity pitched against any ethnicity based on their ethnicity. We can't get around that. Let me say it again. Racism is any ethnicity pitched against any ethnicity based on their ethnicity because anybody can treat anybody bad based upon the color of their skin, based upon their presumptions and assumptions. They can do that. According to the Denison Forum, the truth of the matter is, just in America, and listen, racism is not an American problem. It is a human problem. Pick a country around the world. I'm watching what's going on in Zimbabwe and South Africa, both. And people are murdering each other. It has nothing to do with the color of their skin. But they're doing it because of their economic uh, bigotries. See? We have the capacity to do this. According to the Denison Forum, just speaking of America, it shows that racism persists in America. And maybe you're sitting here going, I know. I told you we got to have a difficult conversation. you got to hear this. The church is not supposed to be just patting everybody on the back, and it's not supposed to be saying what you personally want it to say. It's not. It's supposed to be saying this is what Scripture says. Not politically, but this is what it says. People with black-sounding names have to send out 50% more job applications than people with white-sounding names to get a call back. A black man is three times more likely to be searched in a traffic stop, six uh, times more likely to go to jail than a, than a white person is. Racism persists in uh, uh, American churches as well. 32% of white pastors strongly agree that my church is involved with racial, racial reconciliation at a local level. 53% of the African-American pastors strongly agree with that statement. And it continues to go on. Martin Luther King Jr. said, Sunday morning worship services are the most segregated hour in America. And remember, it's both ways, not just one. Okay? We can talk about that. But it lets us know that racism is an issue in America because it's an issue in our humanity. We just happen to live in America. America does not own the sin of racism at all. We're human beings, and we struggle against it. These are facts, absolutely simple. Now let me say this. Let me share some things with you because I've been passive-aggressively called to task a couple of months ago, and I didn't miss it. I didn't miss it, but I thought it was pithy, and I'm just going to deal with it for you. People wonder where we are. I will not get behind BLM. It's not going to happen. 
okay? And I'm going to explain to you why. Have you been to their website and pulled down, this is what we believe? That's the first thing I did when I was getting ready to jump on there and get behind them. The church cannot attach itself to that at all, period. There's no way. The destruction of the Western hetero narrative. <laughs> first of all, let me share something with you. The hetero narrative is not Western at all. It's Eastern. Do you know that the, the center of the birthplace of the world is over in the Middle East, not in America? So therefore, it is not a Western narrative. It is an Eastern narrative. We involve ourselves as Christians in an Eastern religion, believe it or not. It's from Israel. That's East, okay? I can't connect myself there. I can't connect myself with the destroying of the nuclear family. I can't connect myself there. That's not Christian. It's not biblical. It's not healthy. I cannot connect myself to celebrating more than anything else the transgendered black female. I can't do that. That's not healthy. I believe in gender dysphoria. I believe it's a real thing. I believe that we're celebrating it instead of dealing with it. And we're not there as a church. I can get behind black lives do matter or black lives also matter. I can get behind that in a heartbeat, not even a little bit. I'm just telling you right now, when people wanted to know why I wasn't marching up and down the streets in Richmond, Kentucky, it's because I was sitting with a friend of mine that I had made three years earlier online. We got together over falconry, found out that we were both involved in ministry, had been talking to each other for three years, and I said, let's get together and have lunch. And he said, okay, let's do that. I'll drive to Richmond. And I said, no, I'll drive to Lawrenceburg. He was my black friend. And I'm telling you what, building relationships will do more than marching up and down the street will every single time. And so I will not apologize for not being there. I won't. But another thing that you didn't see me do is take my one black friend, put my arm around him, take a selfie, and put it online to make sure that everybody knew I wasn't a racist. If you have to do that, I'm calling you to question. I told you it was going to be a difficult and uncomfortable conversation. I'm just telling you, as Christian people, we need to be building relationships, not walls. And you can throw all the rocks you want at this church and the people in this church because they're not acting and saying what the way you want. But you don't even know what's going on in their lives while you're doing it. So how about we just go ahead and put the rocks down and ourselves start changing the world? Don't worry if somebody else isn't doing it your way because you don't know what they're doing at all. Black, uh, no, matters, excuse me, no lives matter until black lives matters is a racist statement. You can, you can write me an email or have coffee with me. I'm putting it out there, okay? Anti-racism that ignores or demeans other oppressed ethnicities is still racism. It still is. It sets itself up as more worthy, more important, or more entitled, and that's the definition of racism. When I do that as a white person, it, 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 I'm better than somebody else based on their racism, their, excuse me, their ethnicity. I'm the racist. So when I do it in, in an opposite way but still do the same thing, I'm still the racist. 
You can't do that. The house on fire metaphor is a racist statement that ignores both the historical and present day ongoing plight of Native American oppression, the Hispanic oppression, the Asian oppression, and all of these ethnicities and more also have to deal with past and present racism being perpetrated against them. I keep hearing that, well, this is the house on fire, and yet I know Hispanic people that are oppressed because they're their house is on fire. You can't say their house is not on fire just because you want to get behind a movement. It's racism. It's not black and white racism. It's racism in its entirety. As soon as I... I'm sorry. I'm getting a little wound up. What this mantra says is the Native Americans living in squalor on Indian reservations doesn't matter until the black-white racial issue has been solved. And that won't ever happen. I, I, don't, I don't say that joyfully, willingly. I don't say that, I say that because it's a sin problem. And I can't get rid of it. But I don't have to participate in it. And as often as I become aware of this in my life or in this situation or I, when I meet this person, then that's the place for me to deal with it. When I'm in a situation and I hear joking that's off color because of, of somebody's ethnicity, it's time for me to say something. It's time for me to say, hey, you know what? We don't have to go there. I'm no better than they are. And you don't have to do that here. It is okay for us to take those steps and do those things. It really is. But I don't have to link this church to BLM online. I know there's the organization and there's the movement. I know that. You're sitting there thinking, we're talking about the movement. Then stop using the organization's name. Can't have it both ways. And if you have to split the hair of that vine... I think the problem's sitting in your lap. You really need to rethink that one. Racism is any ethnicity pitched against any ethnicity based on their ethnicity. And so let's be clear, anybody can be a part of that. And jumping up and down and screaming doesn't mean you're not part of it. We have to be aware of it every single time. It's time for us to hire somebody new in this church. You can ask my wife, Every single time. My first question is, is there a person of color that we could hire for this position? And I do everything I can to make that happen by raising people up from inside because we want to hire from inside first. Every single time. As a matter of fact, it's to the point that I go to bed thinking I'm a racist for going that far. But I don't care. I want everybody to come to the table. Everybody. The number is red, but I still have some things to say. What does this mean to you and I at Vineyard Community Church? We're not a whole church if we're not a reconciled church. We're not. And maybe we shouldn't put the ED on it, but an ING. We're not a whole church if we're not a reconciling church. Ongoing term. We need to be an ongoing reconciling church. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old is gone, the new is here. All of this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Reconciliation is one of our ministries. It's not the whole focus, but it is certainly one of our ministries. 
to welcome people in. The, most, the, 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 the thing that left me aghast more than anything else was three years ago, four years ago, I walked out that door over there after the 11.15 service, which ends at 12.30, if, if God blesses us and the pastor shuts up, but um, at 12.30, and I walked out that door, and, and, a, and a car pulled up, and the window went down, and there was a black lady in the passenger seat, and a black man was driving, and she said, hey, 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 can I ask you a question? And I said, yeah. She said, what's going on in there? It just says vineyard at the time. It didn't say community church on this side. I said, well, that's a church. She said, a church? I said, yeah. I said, it's a vineyard church. And this is what she said to me. She was my age, 50 years old or better. Are our kind welcome there? And I went home and cried and cried and cried. You got to ask me in 2000 if your kind is welcome in this church? Yes! As a matter of fact, I'll hire you if you've got the credits, the credibility, what, the, the, the experience, what, what this church needs. Yes, you're welcome here. Richmond is approximately 8% diverse, and that's black, Hispanic, Asian, it, it's, it's everything. And I had a black man tell me one time, stop trying so hard, Joe. You're not going to be a whole lot more diverse than our, our, our county is. And I said, yeah, but that's still my goal. It's still my goal. We have to be a reconciling community. None of this matters. And so what does being, um, excuse me, yeah, we're not going to be whole unless we're a reconciling community. What does being whole look like to you personally? Um, let, check this out. We're not going to be a healthy church if we're not a multicolored church. We're not. We will not be a healthy church if we're not a multicolored church. It's just not. The congregants have to be multicolored. All of us have to welcome multicolored people in the door. All of us. But listen to me, we're still lacking. We have an all-white staff. Our church is still lacking. But we're still looking. We're still wanting. We're still trying. We just don't always have the budget for it. <clears throat> so what does look, being healthy racially look like to you? Not white guilt. I don't believe in white guilt. I did not pick this color. I didn't. I don't believe it. I think that's a, that's a shameful thing, to shame somebody because they're white. Any color, that was a racist thing. See how hard it is? We're not going to be a powerful church. Oh, excuse me, healthy church, Acts 6. So the twelve gathered together and all the disciples gathered together. It would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word in order to wait on tables. Brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom and we'll turn this responsibility over to them and we'll give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. Do you see what the qualifications were to serve in the early church? Full of wisdom and the spirit. Had nothing to do with ethnicity. Nothing whatsoever because the Holy Spirit came on all of those nations. Man, the Jews were in, in Israel for 472 years. You think they had skin as white as mine? Seriously? Not a chance. There is not a chance that they did. We've got to grab a hold of that idea. What does healthy, excuse me, what does becoming whole look like to you? What does, um, yeah, what does becoming healthy look like to you do? We're not going to be a power, so we're not going to be a whole church, we're not going to be a healthy church, we're not going to be a powerful church if we're not empowering every single member. So Christ himself gave the apostles, uh, prophets, uh, evangelists, pastors, teachers to equip the people for works of service. 
No ethnicity described there so that the church of Christ might be built up. What does that look like? What does it look like for us to be a powerful church? And then the last thing is we're not going to be a welcoming church if we're not reaching out to all people of all color. If everybody's not welcome, I asked some of you know Art Lewis, and I asked him one time um, when he was going to church here, um, him and his wife, I didn't understand something that happened in South Carolina, and I sat down with him and I said, what am I missing? How do I know when I'm chasing after a person of color, does that make me a racist, or how do I know? It's like, because I feel like a racist saying, hey, we're looking for a person of color. And he said, this is the deal, Joe, and this is the way I'll explain it to you. He was a black man. He is, still is, not was. Um, um, but um, he said, this is the way I'm going to explain it to you, make it simple for you, because I'm like Peter. It's like I'm not the smartest one in the room, okay? So he says, let me, let me break it down to what somebody said, you know, well, let's break it down to stupid for you, okay? If there is a place at the table for people of color, then yeah, you're not being a racist. But if they don't get an invitation to the party, if they don't get the opportunity to present a resume, if they don't, then you're racist. And I said, okay. So it's qualifications. I don't care what color they are. It's qualifications. Is this a job that you can do that um, would help this congregation grow and change our community? Are we a welcoming church? We will not be if we are not welcoming and building relationships with people of color. Not just black, people of color. Okay? And I want to encourage you in that. In John 3, 16 and 17, it says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but through the world, excuse me, but to save the world through him. And so we look at this. Whosoever believes in him. Not whosoever white people believe in him. Whosoever believes in him. In him. Remember, God made a promise to Abraham, I'm going to make you a blessing to all nations. Not all white nations, all nations. All nations. Are they welcome? What does being welcoming look like to you? What does that look like? It's always been my mission that this church would be more diverse than our county and even than it is. That it would welcome everybody that walks through the door hungry for Jesus, regardless of their skin color or their gender. Come on in if you're looking for Jesus, all right? That it would be an agent of sincere and honest change through the power of the Holy Spirit. That it would not compromise the Bible, but invite people to be changed into what God wants us to be so that we don't miss the life that he wants for us. Come as you are, but don't stay that way. If you're a sinner, don't come in and tell me that your particular brand of sin is okay. It's not. Jesus died on the cross for it. Let him change you. That this church would be a safe place. I recognize anytime I'm talking to a group that there may be people in there that are racists, have racist leaning, and I just want to say it's time for us to let that go. But it's also time to put our rocks down and stop measuring people when the scripture is here for us to measure ourselves according to Galatians chapter 6. If you don't take my word for it, go look at it. Remember what does the Bible say about what the Bible says? Measure yourself against the word of God and then carry your load. It doesn't say you have permission to beat anybody up. So put your rocks down. And let's just welcome everybody that we possibly can. Because God is changing the world. 
and he's changing me first. So when I open up my Bible and I read this whole sermon, I took this thing and I sent it to my black preacher friend. I have to tell you that because this is the sermon I'm preaching today. And I said, can I say this in church on Sunday morning? This is the one that jumped out of his car and stood in the middle of the road and stopped me and said, I got big love for you, Reverend. And I said, okay. (laughs) And I love this man. And I sent it to him and I said, can I say these things in church? He said, yes, you can. He said, but I want to encourage you in something. He said, racism is as old as the Bible. It's not going to go away. Good for you for bringing it up. And thank you for trying. Just because we can't win every battle doesn't mean we don't fight. We just do it on our knees. We do it with the Word of God. And we do it in love. We do it in love. Nobody gets won because we threw rocks at them. When we do that, we just raise a bitter generation, not a better generation. Did you get that? If all we're going to do as Christian people is throw rocks at people, we're going to raise a bitter generation, not a better generation. You want God to do something powerful in your life, back up, look at the Scripture, and stop using it to measure other people and start using it to measure yourself. We, starting with Joe Wood, need to change we're going to do something really weird today. I'm going to wrap this up. I'm not necessarily speaking about racism. I'm not asking you to say anything. I'm not asking you to do anything. I'm just moving from sermon time, racism, Holy Spirit, come and convict our hearts. And when we're moving in our everyday world, show us where we can make a difference each and every time as we make you our focus and not social justice, always our focus. Connect the two of them together so that we're chasing you in truth and bringing social justice. Amen. Okay. Some of you are going through difficult times. I've got some friends that are going through a radical surgery this coming up week. Some of you are in here and God is moving in your heart and he's doing something and it might not have anything to do with racism. But you're in here and you're just like, you know what? I need a change in my life. If you're in here and you're facing a week that lies ahead of you and it looks like it might be a difficult one, if you're struggling emotionally or mentally with the whole COVID quarantine thing because it's taking its toll and it's starting to really hammer our children and you would like prayer, I want you to do something really gutsy um, because we've got to maintain our social spaces and all like that. I just want you to stand up where you are. Don't want you to go out there to the table. Don't want you to come up front. I just want to know if you want prayer this morning before I wrap this up, why don't you just stand up right now and I'm going to do that for you. Can you do that? Okay. I see that. Anybody else? Yes, I need prayer today. I'm facing a week. Listen, our teachers are up against it. I I do want to say something here, and I know this is going long, and I'm sorry for that. Um, Listen, lighten up on the teachers. They don't make the rules in the state of Kentucky, okay? They, They really don't. Lighten up on them just a little bit, okay? Remember, the girl at the counter doesn't make company policy. Deal with the company, okay? Anybody else want prayer today that we can pray for? Anybody else? Amen, okay? They're not worse than you. These people standing, they're not less than you. They're not more than you. They're just willing to say, hey, I need some help. I need God, Pastor Joe. I need God. And that's where we want to be. Can we be there? Okay. Now, I'm going to ask you to do something else to help these people. I want all of you to stand up. And you don't all have to do this, but I want all of you to stand up. 
And those people that were standing up near you and you saw them, do me a favor and just stretch your hand out toward them. Don't go over to them. Just stretch out your hand toward them, whoever that was, and let's pray. God, who is God in heaven, we come before you and we're going to do our best. We want to set you ahead of this world and we're going to do our best to exist in this world and still move the kingdom of God forward. So this is how we're moving today, Lord. And I think this was of your spirit this morning and the other day when we had a talk. And I thank you for the wisdom from MJ as we did this. And so we're doing this. God, we lift these people up. And I just want to thank you for who they are. You know what they're facing. You know whether it's a job, an economic crisis, whether um, it's a racial issue, whether they're just hungry for more of you like Cornelius was. And they want your spirit to come and they want a vision. And God, that's not a bad thing to be hungry for. And so I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would meet us in a powerful way here. Don't let us go out from here the same people we were or we, when we came in. Change us. We're giving you permission. When you walk into the room, Lord, everything can change, and we want it to. We just ask and pray that you do this. God, I pray that you set your host round about the lives of these people and those out there that are watching from home, God. I pray that you fall upon them, and I pray that you bring healing to their lives. I pray that you bring ministry to their physical soul. I pray that the power of the Holy Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead would heal their physical ailments, God. That you would just touch them from heaven. And then it can be said, God met them. Pastor Joe didn't met them. The congregation didn't met them. The Holy Spirit met them in resurrection power. Those people that are afraid of what the next week or two weeks is going to be. God, for our school system, for our teachers, I pray that you just put a cocoon over top of them. I pray that you bring strength and healing to their bodies and, Lord, wisdom to the leaders to know how to do school. And in all things, God, I pray that you would bring glory to your name. God, I bow my head and I, I just pray your, your forgiveness for my sassy attitude, for my desire to pick up a sword and swing it. Because I know that I'm just fighting against you because you're letting this happen if you're not doing it on purpose. And help us look forward, God, to opportunities instead of hiding in the corners of our house. This is the time that the kingdom of God can go forward. Help us to make the most of it. I beg this of you in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Go ahead and sit down. Well, MJ's going to make you stand back up. We're going to close out with this song. God bless you guys.